Of all the scriptures to kick off Advent with, Matthew 24, like, when I, when I come across a passage like that, and it's, you know, weird and confusing, as I'm reading it, I'm already planning the research that I'm going to do to try to figure this thing out, right? Like, you come across such words, and like, okay, well, that's what the NIV says, but I wonder what does the NRSV say, or, or what do these other translations say? I need to look at different translations to try to make sense of this. And I've got to get to the original context. I need to go and figure out what was going on. Is Jesus making any references or allusions to other things that other people at that time might have known? Is he quoting any other scriptures? Let me go look at what those are and see like, what happened before and after. Maybe that shines some light on it because I just need to be able to make sense out of this. I have this, this emotional, immediate need to be able to explain the scriptures that I read. And before I go any further, just kind of curious, um, does anybody else feel that way? Like, what, when, <laughs> thanks, Charles. Um, when, you, when you're reading the scriptures, when you come across a passage that's, I don't know, that's confusing, or that's, um, maybe it's something that you don't necessarily agree with, or it doesn't fit the, the frame of thinking that you have, like, how do you feel, and and what do you what do you do? Sometimes I like to pretend like they're not there. <laughs> okay, yeah, sure. Just just ignore it. <laughs> yeah. Just ask. Just ask Duncan. That's what I'm going to do from now on. I like that. There's a certain Zen aspect of that. You're like, yeah, no, not now, not today. <laughs> oh man, this. But but the thing that I see common through all this though is that we all have that feeling. Like we all encounter something and we're just like, what? And then like we either we either have to compartmentalize and put it off to the side, or ignore it and pretend like it's not there, or like we feel like we've got to like. We've, we've got to explain it somehow. We've got to get to the root of it and figure it all out. And that, that is, it feels inherent in us. I think a lot of it is cultural. I think the, the, the culture and the society that we live in says everything has an order and a place and everything has an explanation. And with enough study and enough attention and with the right information, we can get at it and figure it out. I think, um, for me at least, it's, it's part of my religious culture, religious heritage. 
that we can take and dissect the scriptures and look at it and understand it and make sense out of it and know what it is. Uh, I went to a Christian school and a lot of the, all the Bible majors had to take a class called Systematic Theology, which um, basically you take the narrative of scripture and you take the other writings and, and the history of, what ha- of the church and you like break it down and organize it into this system of thinking so that you can explain the nature of God. And you can explain the nature of humanity and the relationship and what does it mean that, that there is sin or what does it mean that things are fallen or what does it mean that this and, and, and all those questions have answers. And we have this system in place so that we can explain it. Right? And that comes from a good place. Like We want to be able to understand it because if we think we can understand it, we can explain it, we can teach it to people and people can, can be, can be, are able to think the right things and do the right things. It sounds important. But I, I think it's problematic. I think that impulse, as well-intentioned as it is, as it has continued to play out, has left us with structures and religion that feels shallow. And I think that over time, we're seeing that it's losing its ability to transform lives. And I'm not just saying that to throw rocks at the church as it's continuing to fall apart off to the side. I'm saying that as someone that, as many of you know, over the past year, I've gone through a pretty substantial deconstruction of my own um, systems, structure, whatever. Um, because it just it wasn't holding together. It wasn't making sense, and it couldn't. I couldn't stand on it. And. Today, I'm, I am at a, I'm at a good place with God. I am in such a better place now than I was a year from now or before. Um, and as I've been, I hesitate to use the word reconstructing, simply because it sounds like I'm building back a new system. And I'm, I'm trying to not do that, even though that's what I know. Um, what I am instead leaning on more and looking at more is, um, to borrow a phrase, and I don't remember which book I read this out of, the idea of practicing the presence of God, of trying to open myself up to and acknowledge the presence of God and to be able to experience that and to have what uh, others have called a more contemplative posture. Um, of experience. And I'm still a novice at this, but in in delving into this and in looking at things that are confusing and or I might even use the word mysterious, um, I still have that need to like get in and explain it. Um, it's interesting to me that uh, it's, it's also, even though it's a very modern thing, it's also not necessarily a new thing. I've had a recent uh, fascination with early church history. And when you uh, study the church in its first couple hundred years and you look at the, the writings of the church fathers, one of the things that you see, that you read about, are the heresies. Um, these are, you know, thing, basically teachings and movements within the church that kind of disagreed from what the, the commonly held beliefs of the church were at the time. Um, today, those people would just go form a new church. 
Um, but back then, they had to fight it out. And they were heresies. And there's all there's a ton of them. Like go to, you can go to the Wikipedia page and just go down the list. There's a ton of them. And they're all different. But it's interesting, they all have this one thing in common, this one common thread through all of them. Somebody looked at something that was confusing and came up with an explanation for it. And they said, I'm going to explain this, and here it is. Every single one of them. Let me give you some examples. Right? Uh, one of them is Marcionism. There's this guy Marcion, and this is a simplification of this, but, but go with me here. Basically, he's reading the Bible, and he goes, okay, Old Testament, that God seems very wrathful, vindictive, judgmental, almost kind of petty, intense, jealous. Then you get to the New Testament, and God is all of a sudden loving and talking about forgiveness and reconciliation. I can explain this. There are two different gods. The Old Testament was this different god, some sort of petty, small, tribal Jewish god. He was an anti-Semite. Um, and the New Testament god is a different god, uh, a greater god that conquered the other one, and that's, that's the real one. But you can see there's some, you can kind of see where the impulse comes from. You probably had some similar thoughts as you've read scripture too. But to then come and say, here's the answer, this is it. Well, now we have to toss out the Old Testament. We have to toss out all the Jewish parts of the New Testament. You're left with so much less in this explanation. Um, Montanism. Okay, so these guys, they were looking at the Trinity, and they said, okay, the Trinity, that's, that's kind of confusing. I don't get it. Oh, wait a minute. Here it is. Here it is. Okay, so the Old Testament, the Old Testament was the time of the Father. That's when the Father was going on. And then in the New Testament, that's the Son. And the Son was active in the New Testament, and then stopped, and then now is the time of the Spirit. We, we cracked the code. It was the Father first, and then the Son, and then the Spirit. And that's not exactly how the Trinity flows, and that doesn't exactly match like Scripture. The other, the other problem that they had, of course, is they said, now is the time of the Spirit, and the Spirit speaks directly through us, and so we can give you new revelation, and we can say definitively when Jesus is going to come back, and uh, on what day and in what location. <laughs> well, I, you know, newsflash. Um, problematic. When you explain something that's mysterious, you're left with less. One more, one more. Modalism. This is another one with Trinity, okay? And again, Trinity is this hard concept to wrap your mind around. And so the modalists said, okay, well, we've figured it out. It's actually not that complicated. It's pretty simple. We're monotheists, so there's one God. There's only one God. And when you talk about Father or Son or Holy Spirit, you're just talking about different representations of that one same God. Different manifestations of that one same God. Right? It's not three different anything complicated. Just one, and sometimes it appears as the Father, sometimes the Son, sometimes the Spirit. There may be some head-scratching going on in here because, I don't know about you, but when I was reading this one, I was like, man, this sounds very similar to how the Trinity was explained to me. <laughs> Right, it's like it's pretty. It's like water. It's all water, but it could be frozen solid, like ice, or it could be liquid, or it could be in air. Um, or it's like a shamrock. It's got three leaves, but it's really just one leaf. Don't think about it too much. <laughs> I had no idea I was a heretic. The the problem with that, though, is that if you just simply say this is the Trinity, we figured it out. 
it kind of becomes just like this weird footnote to know about Christianity. It's like, oh, by the way, they think God shows up in three different forms. It's kind of odd. It also doesn't fit with some of the stories in Scripture. Like, if, if, if it's just different representations, then what was going on in the Garden of Gethsemane? It was like God putting on a show for us with Jesus begging for him to not make him go through that. It kind of falls flat, and it takes a little bit of the wind out of the mystery. Now, I'm going to defend it a little bit, though, because like, it's not a bad way to introduce the concept to somebody, to like begin to try to get this point across. God is a bigger concept that we can imagine. And so... Often what we do when we encounter things like that is we come up with these mental models to try to help us grasp a bit of it, right? Um, and we do this we do this all the time. Uh, think about, for example, how does electricity work? It works kind of like water, right? You've got pipes, and water flows through pipes, and you can open valves and close valves, and you have a battery, and the battery's kind of like a water tank. You can fill it up, you can plug it in, you can use it until the water runs out, and then, you, you know, it's... It's not at all like that. That's not how electricity works. <laughs> but, for someone that doesn't need to understand that you're not building circuits or doing anything complex with it, if you just need to understand how to use a battery, it's not a bad way to kind of get the point across. As long as you realize, this isn't how it works. I'm not going to be able to go teach a class on electrical engineering with this. I'm going to get kicked out of the school. But, for kind of grasping at the concept. It's not bad. Macroeconomists do this. The economy is so complex, nobody really knows how it works. I'm serious. So they come up with models. And they say, okay, we think here are some rules. And they do a lot of work to try to make sure that the rules are internally consistent. Um, and they say, okay, we think this is how it works. This is how our model works. And they grab all the statistics and they lay the statistics over the model, and they say, see, the model fits the data. Now let's use it to make a prediction, and we'll see, does it work? Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't, and you go and adjust the model. Right? And that's the best way that we have to try to understand this. Now, no macroeconomist is going to say, I know how the economy works, but they'll talk about their model, and they'll defend their model, but they understand it's just a model. Same thing's true with physics. Right? Matter made up of atoms, made up of subatomic particles. So is energy, kind of. And energy and matter are kind of the same, but they're different because matter has mass, um, even though neither one can be created or destroyed. And so physicists have this thing called the standard model that they use to explain how all these different particles interact and work and what they do and how they operate. But they have other models, too, because the standard model can't explain everything. It can only explain most things. And some of their other models can't explain things that the standard model explains. But it seems to work. And so again, they're not going to say, we know exactly how the universe operates. But we have a model, and the model seems to fit most things. So if we have to have models to explain things like electricity, or physics, or the economy, which is something that we created, because we can't understand it, why, how, why would we not have to do the same thing for God? How could we possibly be able to explain and understand? And that was the problem with modalism as a heresy. It wasn't that, here's a way to kind of help you think about this to get started. It was, here's the answer. This is the doctrine. Understand it, internalize it, believe it, and then move on with your life. But God is so much bigger than that, so much more 
mysterious than that. And it's in these mysteries, these, these things that are confusing, that are hard for us to understand, but I think we can really begin to find God and experience God in new ways. We're starting Advent. And Advent is the season of preparation for Christmas. It's the season of preparation to talk about the incarnation, God coming into this world, which, my gosh, what an incredible, profound mystery to think about. God is, like, I'm, just, I'm just sitting here thinking right now, it's like, how, how, can you, how can you begin to describe God? How can we begin to talk about God? Let's do this. Let's, let's think about the name of God for a second. All right, so with Moses, he's at the burning bush, and God says, you're going to go to Egypt, and you're going to tell, you know, leave the people out. And Moses says, okay, fine, but, like, they're going to ask me who sent them. What's your name? Who, who can I tell them that sent me? And God gives this great answer. Um, the NIV translates it, I am who I am. Which is just an amazing non-answer. <laughs> right? He says, God says, there is no name that can describe me. There is no word that you can put on me that is going to fully convey who I am. I'm not one of these other tribal gods. I'm not like a Baal or an Asherah or an L or whatever, even though sometimes I might answer to those names. I am who I am. Don't name me. Who here knows what the second commandment is, the Ten Commandments? What's number two? Do not take the Lord's name in vain, right? We were probably, you probably taught growing up that that means don't cuss. <laughs> some... Uh, some Jewish rabbis will say that it's even more sacred than that. That means don't speak the name of the Lord at all. Because again, how could a name possibly encapsulate what God is? It's even more than that. Like in scriptures, in the Hebrew scriptures, the name of the Lord is written in four Hebrew letters. And people more educated about this than I am have taken those four Hebrew letters and said it's like the four English letters Y H. W-H, right? Now, in, in an English translation of the Bible, you're going to see it translated as THE LORD, all caps. But the letters Y-H-W-H, it's unpronounceable. So not only can should you not say it, you can't say it, because we have to have a vowel to be able to pronounce a word. It is an unpronounceable name. There is no name that can fully grasp all that God is. I put this one more thing. Y H W H. What does that sound like? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It's breath. It is the sound of a person breathing. It is literally something that your bodies are doing involuntarily all day long. It is the very first thing that a baby does once born. It's to speak the name of God. It is the very last thing that you will do before you die. It's to speak the name of God. 
It is something that we all are constantly doing. Our bodies themselves are proclaiming the name of God constantly, even though there is no name that we can say. There is nothing that can fully encapsulate it. We do it. God is infinitely unknowable and also infinitely knowable. And so now we're going to talk about Christ coming into this world. What does that mean? Well, for a second, let me talk not about the baby Jesus. We'll get there. But today, let's talk about the Christ that was mentioned in Genesis when God said, let us make mankind in our image. Or the one in the beginning of John's Gospel that was in the beginning with God and was God, through whom all things were created, without whom nothing has been made that has been made. The one in Colossians that says that everything was created through him, that he holds everything together. The Christ that, um, actually later on in Colossians, when it's talking about the people, that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, or civilized, Scythian, slave, whatever, but all are Christ, all are Christ and in Christ. What does that mean? I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) It's a mystery. It's a mystery. And that's where we encounter God. Back to this passage. All right, Matthew 24. I'm not going to tell you what it means. I'm not going to even try to do it. But I do want to look at it one more time. He says, he's talking about the day or the hour is unknown. It's going to be, when the coming of Son of Man, it's going to be like the time of Noah. Right? And he says, you know, people were going on about their business, they were living their lives, they were going to work, they were buying houses, they were getting married, they were doing their thing. And the flood comes, and who's left? Noah and his family. Well, Noah was paying attention. Noah was talking to God. Noah was aware of what God was doing in this world. Everybody else was just completely oblivious to the presence of God in the world. And they didn't see it coming. And so Jesus says here, keep watch. Because you don't know when the Son of Man is coming. And what I'm saying is, Christ is in the creation. So keep watch. Don't go on about your lives oblivious to what's going on. So focused on whatever. But be watching for God. Be looking for Christ. Because he's out there. Be in tune. Pay attention. Keep watch. Let's pray. Open our eyes, Lord, as we want to see you. Help us to be comfortable in the mystery, to let go of our need to be able to explain everything away. And overwhelm us with your 
unknowing, unknowable, and yet infinitely knowable presence. We love you. We are reaching for you. O wisdom, Lord and ruler, root of Jesse, king of David, rising sun, king of the nations, Emmanuel, come, Lord Jesus.